You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast, where the pronunciations are made up and the stars don't matter. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. And we are your marvelous hosts. Welcome to episode 23. Wow. Today, we are discussing the summer's hottest book, Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Is it hot because everything's on fire? Oui, oui. Okay. This is the first time we have repeated an author, so... No, it's not. It's not? Who else Kristen Hanna, Firefly did? Lane, and oh. The Four Winds. <laughs> wow. Normally, you're the steel trap. Ooh, oh. I like the upper hand. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. So this is a repeat author, our second our repeat se- author. <laughs> second repeat author, man. Asterix, asterix, asterix. This fact is, check, fact check, fact check. This is embarrassing. It's okay. It's well, okay. because I was a little badgery with The Four Winds. Maybe that's yeah, why. Yeah, you were. I don't know. Except you loved Rose. I did love Rose. Give me That's Rose. That's about it. Give me a just Rose book. I'm measuring her garlic with her heart. <laughs> Summer is here, and we are here for it. Woo woo! Living to our absolute fullest. Between the two of us, we have tons of vacations, birthdays, plans, not to mention our day jobs. Ew. <laughs> that we sadly haven't had time to dedicate reading a book every week, plus record and edit an episode. So. Like we mentioned in our last episode, we've decided to scale back and just highlight one book each month with perhaps some elephant hunting episodes in between. Yeah, I'm down. If they're purple. Maybe. We'll see. Yep. Uh, We will definitely miss you guys. But of course, we are still crazy active over on the gram. You can check out our Instagram page at The Lost Chill to figure out all of our upcoming books and fun. We are also having our own individual bookstagram account still. Katie's Lost Chill and Kimmy's Lost Chill. We're still reading a ton, so don't worry. Posting a whole bunch of pictures of our puppies, Wrigley and Jackson. And uh, beaches. (laughs) Beaches. All summer long. (laughs) And all the shenanigans that we're getting into. So join us on our little community over there. We absolutely love chatting with every single one of you and hearing your thoughts on all of these books. And of course, checking out your reviews so we can find out what books to keep adding to our pile every single day every (laughs) single day oh man do you go a whole day without adding a book to your tbr no okay me either it's like finish one chapter yeah add three books (laughs) yeah so no wonder why there's like 500 books on my to be read it's It's terrible it's fine so if you're on bookstagram at all and probably even if you're not but you're just an avid reader you will know about our July book, Malibu Rising. This was a pick in the subscription box book of the month for our American listeners. Yeah, so sorry. Breaks my heart every time for our international friends. I know. Book of the month, you know, I've talked several people into getting it. They're just so uniform. Yeah. They're perfect. That's rough. So sorry, guys. So this is Malibu Rising. It is the third book of a quartet following the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones and the Six. Wait, 
quartet. Like four. Four books. <laughs> oh, yes. But there's only three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. We clearly have lots of ground to cover and reveal lots of scoops to serve. I say we dive on into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, before we forget, we do want to mention trigger warnings of abandonment, adoption, alcoholism, death of a parent, drowning, drugs, fire, estranged fathers, and infidelity. There's a lot in here. <laughs> and of course, we are not very good at keeping chill about things. You can infer that from our name. So spoilers will probably spill. And it will be fine. Yep. All is well. So let's get to Kimmy's other Taylor, <laughs> Taylor Jenkins Reed. Oh, I just love her so much. Katie and I were so lucky that over the month of June, we attended a total of four author events on her Malibu Rising virtual book tour, and it was amazing. I actually went to three. The first one was before I even read the book, and it was with actress slash author Robin Lee, and it really hyped me up. I could not wait for my physical book to arrive and absolutely devoured it. So I attended mine before I read the book as well, because the cool thing about these book talks that we went to is our books, our physical copies were signed, and they came from local bookstores of Taylor's choosing. Um, So mine was hosted by Camilla Marone, who's actually going to play Camilla Dunn in Daisy Jones and the Six. So that was really cool to see. I have a question real quick while we're on the the topic of um, the actual copies of the books. Uh since we both got physical copies that were signed, did you read your physical copy? I did. I did not. Wow. I was, I did not want to transport it to and from work. I did not want to ruin it. I did not want to spill anything on it. I did not want to do anything to it. So I actually read the arc. Yeah, because we, we have the ARC, the advanced reader's copy of Malibu Rising. We've had it for several months now. Um, I read it on my Kindle because I was too scared to touch it. Wow. Because I love it that much. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't even cracked No, I touched spine. mine because I wanted... You're going to judge me hard for this, but Am I don't I? care. So one, I missed physical books. And part of what I missed about physical books was how much I used to make them my own and mm-hmm. have my way with them. I do the same thing. Highlight and annotate and whatever. And so I don't like do it like super dramatically. It's not a lot, but I did do it in this book for some quotes. And the first time I did, I was like, oh shit, this one's signed. (laughs) I probably shouldn't have. And then I was like, yeah, it's done now. So I guess I'll continue. It's done. It's fine. So I was just curious because typically I do the same thing. Like I love the hell out of a physical book. Like, I will, I don't care if I spill on it. I don't care if I bend the spine. I don't care if I do anything, but it's, a signed book is different. There's something about a book that is loved. Yes. And you can tell. Yes. I don't know what it is. And honestly, I, I did, I think it's, I think it's because her signature is a scribble. <laughs> You're still all pissy about that. <laughs> oh man. So that's, that's on me, whatever. But I was like, whatever, this is mine. If they want to knock off a hundred bucks because I put my favorite quotes. Also, in my mind, I'm going to get super famous doing this podcast. So it will actually add value. 
when you can have a signed copy and also see what Kimmy loved. Oh, okay. <laughs> in our, it's, is it going to be in the Smithsonian? Yes. Okay. Yes. Next to Dorothy Slippers. So when we get very, very famous, okay. it's going to add value. Okay. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> oh, man. So going back to the author interviews. Yeah. After we had those first two, I had to go to one more mm-hmm. because it was with V.E. Schwab. Of course. Obviously, she wrote so my sad favorite I book, make this The Invisible one. Life of Addie LaRue. Oh, man. And then, well, I guess good things come in threes, like Duchess's and Taylor Jenkins Reid yeah. interviews. And it was just by happenstance. I was on Instagram at the right time, and I happened to see Taylor Jenkins Reid going live with Reid with Jenna. Cool. So... I'm glad I did all of those. I learned so much about Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I can't wait to share it all. Well, normally I do about the author, but you are way more versed about TJR because of all of your recent attending events. So (laughs) why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about some TJR today? Okay. So one of the biggest things that stood out to me that I learned is out there in the world, technically, it doesn't seem to be common knowledge. Uh, V.E. Schwab is actually the one who brought it up, and she said she read on Wikipedia and like gave this whole pretext. Like, I'm not sure if this is true. I'm not sure how good my source is. I've only seen it in one spot, but it said you were in production before you got into writing. And TJR said that, yep, she was. She did a lot of like casting type things and is just very familiar with that side of Hollywood and movies and things. She was actually never really into writing or even reading. Really? Until she was older. Yeah. Wow. Not at all. That just wasn't what she was into. And she was actually in college complaining to her roommate about a boring train ride she had to go on. And her friend suggested that she read. And she was literally like, "Eh, okay, I guess. And it was The World According to Garp by John Irving. And she said that after she read that book, she was literally thinking Garp's voice and was just so amazed that a book could just get inside your mind like that and change the way your thoughts sounded to you. And so that kind of planted the seed of what she wanted to be able to do. And she just loved that medium and how much it could just grab hold of people. That's insane. I can't believe an author is so fantastic at writing who didn't enjoy reading since they were little. It's just mind-blowing <laughs> to me. So I really love everything that I've read by her so far. Um, and it's just insane to me, her story. So I love her. I'm ready to talk about Malibu Rising. So let's get into it. We start with a pretty ominous beginning that discusses a bit of history of wildfires that have occurred numerous times in Malibu, which we know to be true. It's real life. And it really sets the scene of the devastation that is to come in this book, but it also reminds us of the way that fire can purify and refine. From there, we jump into a dual timeline. The main one in the current time is that every hour on the hour, we get an update from one of the four Riva children and their whole day leading up to the annual end of summer party. And it could be any or one of all or all of them and just what they're doing every hour leading up to this big party that they throw every year. However, also every time before that hour is up, we're brought back to the past to learn the story 
of the Riva children's parents and what led them to where they are on that day. I loved this timeline. I loved the way that she went back and forth. Um, and I caught myself through different parts of the book enjoying the present day more. And then sometimes I was enjoying when the kids were growing up more. And it just depended what was going on in the situation. And it was just, it was never one of those dual perspectives where you're just like, oh, I don't really want to read this part. Like, I just want to keep reading about present day or, or past or whatever you're fancying. It was never like that for me. I just enjoyed all of it. And I thought it was amazing how she intertwined the two. I also loved it. I have a really strong appreciation for just her creativity. Um, TGR has a real commitment to come up with new ways to tell stories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is in a way somewhat experimental. Um, dual timelines obviously isn't that experimental, but the whole every hour on the hour for whole day thing is more so the way she had Evelyn Hugo was still dual timeline, but that was a different interview process. And then obviously Daisy Jones and the six was something completely different. And so she did talk about that in a few interviews of how she wants to keep, you know, pushing the envelope and figuring out how to tell a story yeah. in a new way. So I appreciate that she does that. I appreciated this captivating mix in Malibu rising of telling the entirety of a whole life story uh, juxtaposed against the current day in the life. I really appreciate when things are compared side by side in a way that you wouldn't normally expect. Like it reminds me of when you think of a dirty Greyhound bus stop, you know, where all the buses are coming and going. And then if you think of <laughs> a lobster <laughs> who's had a boob job, you know, like, do you even know the difference between those? I don't, Kimmy. Well, one is a crusty bus station, <laughs> and one is a busty crustacean. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that you cracked yourself so much up <laughs> made it that much better. Oh, you busty crustacean. <laughs> That's probably my favorite oh. joke of all time because it's just so ridiculous. That was a good one. Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> Kudos to you. Thank you. Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know... In about an hour or so, that old, familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of The Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you? There is, and it's called The Death Metal Disco Podcast hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy!
No matter how you feel about them or how close you are to them in the end, people's stories really do start with their parents. So I'm going to jump right in and start with Mick and June Riva. I always love when authors frame things in that way when you know there's this tragic, devastating ending and they're going to introduce them to you already having that lens from the get-go where you know it doesn't work out. So which parent's storyline was most frustrating to you? Was it a father who made all these promises and then left and completely abandoned them without looking back? Or were you more bothered watching their mother unable to bear the weight of that betrayal and abandonment, who was too stubborn to ask Mick for any help, even monetary, and slipped into alcoholism before literally, figuratively, crazy, symbolically drinking herself to death via a drunken accidental drowning. Both of them frustrated the hell out of me for so many different reasons. Um, Mick, just because he did everything he said that he wasn't going to do. He made his kids feel abandoned when he knew how that felt with his own upbringing and fame ultimately got to him and the ways of fame and you know like so many celebrities that we see in the the tabloids even present day there's always somebody cheating on somebody of of course he's not going to stay faithful um but then june frustrated me because she was so unable to get past him to help herself to help her kids to help all of them and that's such a weakness in my mind that's a terrible thing to say but I'm going to be honest here like to just not be able to get past that person to do the work that you need to do to look inwards to not have to rely on somebody to give you a sense of meaning a sense of life that's a difficult concept for some people unfortunately and June certainly struggled with that and she hurt her family as a result. And I think in that sense, I was much more frustrated with June's and I do feel bad about it because I can understand to a degree, like she did a lot. She did great for those kids as far as being stable, especially what she did for HUD was amazing. Yes. But Mick was stereotypical and... I know that's a big thing listening to all these Taylor Jenkins Reid interviews of like, oh, the man can just do whatever and people just brush it off. Like that's what they do and that's how they expect and whatever. And it's not giving them permission or saying it's okay. It's shit what you did. You had a shitty stereotype and you just lived up to it. You're shit. That's basically how I see it. It's not making it okay because I knew that's how he would go the whole time. But with June, it was just frustrating because she did have so much missed potential. And it reminds me of that Taylor Swift song, Right Where You Left Me, where you, you know, something ends and you just can't get over it. And so you are basically just frozen in time, waiting for them to come back, waiting for things to change. Like you just won't accept it while the rest of the world's going on around you. And just that's June to a T. Yeah. And it's devastating. And another one that we've talked about a lot, um, maybe not too much in depth, but it's been touched on is Gatsby. Mm -hmm. Like Gatsby had a lot to offer a woman. 
and he probably could have found happiness if he would have just talked to another party-goer instead of just looking over for Daisy every goddamn night, you know? It's obviously something that happens a lot. I don't think it's just a trope either. Yeah. I think it's real-world problems. It's a hard thing to get over. Yeah. Like, I mean, how many people, family, friends, acquaintances, things like that do you know of that just never moved on after the love of their life left them or did them dirty or whatever? And that's that's hard, too, because I truly don't think if it's meant for you that I don't, I don't think anyone has what's meant to be for their life to be like pure heartache and pain and to be left. Like, if that person's meant for you, they'll stay with you. Yeah. But they get stuck and, like, this was my one great love. I was their one great love. Surely they'll be back one day. And that just closes a lot of other doors. And I truly believe that they could be a lot happier beyond their wildest dreams if they could see what they have. And, you know, even if it is their one great true love, mm-hmm. romantically, you know, it, I know June loved her children a lot. That was very obvious. Absolutely. But if she could have seen that for what it was, instead of seeing the hole that Mick left, it could have helped change things. I agree. I agree. So Mick Riva starts out as this amazing guy who sweeps June off of his feet, but yet fame turns him into a pompous, deadbeat, extremely fast he plays with june and the kids hearts mainly nina's when the kids and mick are talking on the beach at the party mick shares with his kids about his childhood and how he never wanted his children to feel abandoned yet it is ultimately what he ended up doing now do you think that mick was actually trying to take responsibility for his actions during this time or do you feel that he was just trying to make the connection with them because he felt a void and loneliness from so many years of fame and not really having those meaningful, deep connections. I think he did want to take responsibilities. And I think he knew that that wouldn't help. I don't... (laughs) It's very hard. And I think he's... As much as I just said he was a pure stereotype straight up. <laughs> On another hand, I do think he's a little bit more complicated than he has given credit for in that I don't necessarily think he stayed away strictly because he was an arse. He made himself an arse by the choices he made. I don't think that's who he was, but I think it was brought on by a huge level of shame and not Mm. feeling good enough. And I think, you know, when you're that hard on yourself, like, yes, he, it's hard to see because he's rich and out there partying and marrying women for a day and divorcing them and seems to not think that any of his actions have any, um, consequences. Yeah. But also to be that hard on yourself, which we did see a little and know how he felt, after his own upbringing about himself and thinking he could never be good enough. I do think that deep down he believed he wasn't a good dad. He wasn't cut out to be a good dad. He knew he hurt his children. And I don't think he understood that anything would have been better than nothing. I think he looked at an equation and saw, when I'm there, my kids have pain. So he tried to remove himself, hoping it might help them in a way. 
and not knowing that anything would have been better, any effort. And so, I don't know. I think I think he wanted to make it right and was finally admitting that. But I think he was kept away by shame and thinking that they were better off without him. I don't know. What do you think he was trying to do? Once a character does me wrong, he can no <laughs> longer return. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's fair. That's he, fair. He hurt Nina so bad. I feel the need to protect Nina. Nina needs a break. And what he did to her as a small Oh, that made me so mad child. because she was so resistant when she he was. She was. So and that's why I got so mad. And he mad. finally broke her down. He did. She did not trust him mm-hmm. when she when he came back and she finally let him in and here he goes again off putting his you know what into somebody new and uh, it was not cool what he did it was not cool and i think i think that's just how he saw himself and that's you know i'm still mad at him that's why there is a level of grace you need to give fuck-ups i'll say this like the way you treat them like can affect it going further or not to a degree and how they see themselves he sees himself as a lever and abandoner and he's like oh why would i go back they don't need me i'll just leave them and hurt them again you know, if he had someone there saying, like, you need to be in your kids' lives, even if you're not with that wife, like, and that's also a different time thing. It is. It totally and is. And so it was, I think, a much more common thing of you leave the wife, you leave the whole family. Absolutely. And I think that could also be coloring how I see things. But I also, you know, think that he didn't even ever try to reach out because he was like, oh, I just hurt them. I'm not a family man. I can't do this. And So pity party. For himself, yeah. yeah. And so, I don't know, he needed he needed to be talked to and he needed to believe something different about himself so he wasn't just thought they were better off without him because they obviously were not. Yeah. So, anywho. <laughs> With the whole trifecta of, of TJR books that we have read, she's constantly exploring these different facets of fame. In most of my author chats, she stated how she really loved that whole theme because every time you have these two narratives running at the exact same time of what everyone in the public thinks is happening versus what is actually happening. She said how it's just this instant built-in conflict that she loves. With Evelyn and Daisy, we had these two women with devil-may-care attitudes who would do anything really for fame and success, but Nina was nothing like that at all. How do you think the whole theme of what is portrayed to the public versus what is really going on molded the story in Malibu Rising? Well, everybody loved Mick. Everybody saw him as this god, but I mean, it could have been the 17 husbands of Mick Riva that could have been, or 17 wives. Ooh, sorry. Plot twist. So sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, no, the 17 wives of Mick Riva. Do you think um, that's maybe why he was never happy? Maybe. Maybe. Um, but I think that she, what you said earlier about when V.E. Schwab brought up about TJR being in Hollywood prior to writing these books, I think it really gives us a glimpse into stuff that really happens. Um, you know, the, look at Britney Spears, you know? Oh my gosh. That's hot in the news right now. (sighs) Um, you know, it's 
there's a lot of reality in fiction. And I think that these books are a great way to portray that, that these people who we idolize, who we are obsessed with and know so many things about, they have a dark side and... They're human. Yeah. Humans have dark sides, every single one of them. Uh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not negating that at all, but I think that fame and money... And being told that you can basically do whatever you want with no consequences a lot of the time um, gives you a God complex. And it accelerates those traits that may not have come out if you were just a normal human. Because I feel like before Mick became famous, he had it in him to be a stand-up guy. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But that's just the vibe that I got when him and June met on the beach. Okay, so you're going to hate me. I love when you start out conversations (laughs) like that. Taylor Jenkins Reid is going to hate me. Oh. Probably everyone. Taylor Swift? Probably. Uh Uh-oh. So with this question, I was going a completely different way than you took it. But with how you're going... I don't see that many differences between Mick and Evelyn. They, to me, are very, very similar characters. Just a female bisexual version and a probably straight male version. Not according to me. He has 17 husbands. I know. Um, That's why I said probably. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Well, what traits do you find similar in them that they're just... Not able to stay with one person, or I mean, there is that just that I mean, Evelyn had a completely different that situation. Okay, but we haven't seen a book from Mick's perspective. She fair, uh, maybe he'll write a tell all, right? Maybe that'd be cool, yeah. So they would do anything for fame, you know. We don't know that why is he was doing point. with this person. Her first husband adored her. And the studios were having her do it. Like, she cared more about movies than about her family. And... I see your point. I do. So... I think it's an unpopular opinion, and I don't really care for it, but I see your point. Yeah, everyone loves Evelyn because they love women who will claw their way to the top and do whatever. Yeah. such a... (laughs) And that's funny because people say that, you know, oh, it's... Men can do things with no excuse and not looking back. and it's But they like really when not. women do the same thing and have yeah. just as many husbands, but he's the one looked down upon because we're seeing the family he left behind. Yes. And is it better? Because Evelyn, I mean, she had one child. So if we had maybe heard that from Evelyn's child's perspective, yeah, our thoughts on Evelyn could have been completely different. It's all a matter of perception, really. It is. In the who the the narrator is, yeah, and I mean we talked about how all humans have dark sides; they all have light sides. And is this Star Wars? Yes, and who's interacting with them might see it differently. Yeah, Queen Amidala might see the light that no one else sees. Yeah, so Chewbacca definitely sees a light that nobody else sees. So because he's so tall. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Man. <laughs> wow. I got those sleepy sillies. Okay, but anyway, so where yeah. I was going with that yeah. question, okay. though, was Evelyn and Daisy are completely different in that they wanted their fame. Uh, Nina, 
she did not want that at all. No. And really, she, and I don't think it changed her. You were no. talking about like how it brings out the worst in people and it kind of changes people, but she was almost ashamed of it. Yeah. And I get that, but oh, the way they treated her. I know. Dads at her family restaurant. Like their families there just touching her. But that, that stuff, I'm sure, happens oh, yeah. in real life. I've read stories about Disney princesses. Yes. At the parks. Yes. And it's so disgusting. It's gross. Yeah. That Ooh. they think that, like... That they're property, almost. Not they property, are. but just, like... And I, I'm someone who... <laughs> I've never been known to be, like, the most, like, conservative and modest person with my dress. This, this might shock brand you. brand new information. I know. And... I have mixed feelings. I'm getting more conservative as I grow older. And I think that's just a thing. <laughs> it is. It's totally a It's thing. annoying, but whatever. It's because you're over 30 now. I know. I got some bathing suits that have so much fabric. It's weird. But anyways, <laughs> the fact, like, I like to dress that way because, it, like, I'm comfortable. I don't mind. I like it. I wear crazy stuff to hang out with you and Lindsay at your house. Yes. Like, I just like it. Yes. So, like. The fact and we love that you do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so extra. Wait, let me tell a story real quick. Okay. I had Kimmy and Lindsay and all of our families over for my <laughs> son's birthday a couple weeks ago. And Lindsay and I show up in a dress. And Lindsay got there before Kimmy did. And normally, Kimmy is always wearing a dress. The only one. <laughs> only one ever wearing a dress and heels. All the time. Well, Katie's wearing her Spalding basketball shoes. Yeah. And she looks fantastic while she does it. And I said to Lindsay, as uh, we're waiting for Kimmy to show up, I said, you watch. You watch that Kimmy's going to be the only one not wearing a dress. And she sure was. That was literally, that is actual literally the only time in the history of our friendship that that has ever happened. I Probably will, the only time it will ever happen. I will have everyone know I wanted to jump on Katie's trampoline. And Lindsay I will have, was jumping yeah, on it. So apparently Lindsay's getting crazier with age and she doesn't <laughs> care who sees all her goodies. <laughs> Just jumping like, first of all, it's raised. Second of all, so all the people sitting down on ground level are like, yeah, Lindsay, you jump so high. <laughs> Mainly it was her husband. Right. So it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, so there was a, a just a, a monumentous, monumentous, is that a word? Sure. Monumental. Hey, monumental moment in it our was. friendship. So, so but sorry. It, anyways, that, that just makes me mad for people to think, to truly think that because you're dressed that way, because you're model, because you're a Disney princess, that you are quote unquote asking for it. Yeah. Like, it's, no, that is not an invitation. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And you're not there to be somebody's uh, sexual desires without your consent, basically. And that's what happened. And yes, it was just it was grazing. It was just, her. it was touching, but it was still unwanted you, physical touch. You don't touch. have that right you with do anyone. Not. And that do not. made me hurt for Nina because, like, I think if it was just her, she would never have done that. She literally did it to provide for her she family, did. for her siblings. And she was a fantastic provider that she sacrificed so much for all of her siblings. And she didn't ever ask for anything in return. She didn't hold it over their heads. She just is a genuinely good person, in my opinion, and somebody who I would love to know. To have over yeah. for dinner? yeah. 
I would love to know her too. So much. Nina Riva is a masterpiece. Definitely one of my favorite characters that I've gotten to know. I loved her so much. Yeah. So here's another little, uh, uh, not necessarily controversial topic, but just something that I've seen popping up on reviews as more and more reviews on this book come out. Um, there's, uh, based on Taylor Jenkins Reid and her writing style and her intertwining of all of the um, different timelines and whatever, um, she also did something a little bit unique in this story where at the end, during the party hours, the last like third of the book, I'd say, or last half of the book, mm-hmm. we meet like about 20 different characters, literally, like 20 maybe 30 different characters. I'm honestly not sure how many characters come into play. It's everybody at the party. It's this enormous party that there's hundreds of people at that's just getting out of hand. And we're just seeing snippets of these people who are at the party. And I've read several reviews that have found this scene to be extremely chaotic because they couldn't keep the characters and storylines straight and who was doing what. And they thought it deterred from the book. What were your thoughts on this? Did you find it overwhelming? Did you even have an opinion on it or notice how many characters came all at us? I have lots of thoughts on this. Okay. One, as a reader, I did find this overwhelming and confusing because like every time I see a new name pop up, I'm like, okay, do I have to pay attention? How much do I have to be committed? Are they going to come up later? What do I have to remember? And then it's not a lot. Or it is a lot to keep track of and then you let them go. Who's peeing on the Liechtenstein? Who's wanting everyone to watch her give that that was a lot anyways we never found out if that happened she got arrested for lewd behavior yeah so but anyways i digress (laughs) um so i will say that as a reader that's how i felt but given the context of the book i do think it was necessary and it helped because a lot of times the reva kids were on the sidelines of the party And it was talking about how out of control this was getting. And if we would have stayed with just their perspectives, we're like, we would have been like, okay, where's the crazy party in the pantry? Yep. You know, so I think it was necessary for that. And I will say for the final time as a reader, I did not like it, but imagine how great this would be in a movie or show. That's exactly what I was thinking the entire time. Um, I did find it a little bit overwhelming as well, because like you said, you're like, how much do I need to pay attention to this individual? Um, but it also showed the sheer magnitude of this rager. Like this was an actual rager and it got out of hand quickly. And I mean, it showed the entire scope. Yeah. Of everything. And I think that it was needed in order to make this story as good as it was. And to show the chaos that Absolutely. was truly there. While they're out on the beach. Um, another fun thing is it helped. I don't know them all. I'm not devoted with all the details of all the Easter eggs. But that was also how TJR snuck in some Easter eggs. Of the people? Mm-hmm. And who was there. Um, one of them, Violet. Is Violet Kit's best friend? Yeah. Or is Violet just someone... Okay, so Violet is Rex North's daughter. Hold on, hold on. It's okay if you don't remember. There's a character <laughs> named Violet. Yeah. She's Rex North's daughter. Oh. And that's an Easter egg. Rex North is a husband yeah. of Evelyn. So 
There was a lot that I didn't pick up on, I think, because in my author chat, um, Camilla Marone was actually talking about all of the characters that get thrown at us at the end and that she had counted like seven different Easter eggs in there um, towards the end where they're just talking about everybody that's at the party. So I did not pick up on every single one of them. And I, I think it's hard unless you're like a super devotee who's read it a lot. Yeah. Multiple and it's like times. Studied yeah. all of the, the like characters. Like I have with Taylor Swift. Right. <laughs> so, but that's one that she did mention was in there was that they're now partying with Rex North's daughter. So I like it. When the book starts, we have four Riva children. We have Nina, Jay, Hud, and Kit. By the end of the night, we have a fifth. Yep. So it ends so beautifully with the four younger ones telling Nina, who's the oldest, like, hey, we got this now. You literally gave us everything we need. We are taken care of. We can take care of ourselves. Now you go and take care of yourself for once. Put yourself first. We'll sort it all out. Just go. Even their newly found sibling was like, take my truck, take my stuff. How did you feel as you watched them give that gift of freedom to Nina? I think it was a testament to how she stepped up to the plate for them, that she instilled those unselfish behaviors in them, that they were like, yeah, we would love for you to stay and love to be a part of your life here. But if you're not going to be happy here and you're going to be happier somewhere else, by all means, go and we'll come and visit you and you'll live your life. And I think that that is just a true testament to how Nina ultimately raised these kids because... Even when June was still alive, Nina was doing a lot of the rearing because she was the oldest and June was starting to become an alcoholic Yeah, and she was starting to become an embarrassment and starting to become unable to really truly take care of these children. She burned the oven almost or burned the uh, macaroni and cheese in the oven one night and almost burned the kitchen down. Like it, it was getting dangerous and concerning that these children weren't going to be taken care of. That's how she died. Exactly. If they hadn't all been older and out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so Nina pretty much raised these kids. um, As she became a teenager, and she even dropped out of school and started working at the restaurant to take care of the kids because Mick wasn't even in the picture even when she uh, protested for custody of the kids. So long story long, (laughs) Um, I think that this was just their way of saying thank you. I appreciated it. And the thing that Taylor Jenkins reads that over and over and over again, in all my interviews of what this book was about is like someone who does this, puts everyone first all the time. And the whole main question was, what if you just put it down? Yeah. And where her friend just as a mom, oh, yeah, that gets me. And like even some of them, she she would say she's like, I'm asking that right now, and I'm like, oh god, what if I do? That sounds so stressful. And I think for Nina, it would have been it would have been hard to do if they didn't push it on her so much. Um, the fact that they were like, uh, just sell the restaurant, and she's like, I don't have to run the restaurant like my mom didn't even want it why am i holding on it's like all of these things just clicked for her yeah and you just hold on so much and sometimes you truly do need permission to put it all down i'm really blessed with the husband i have all the time because i'm bad at this 
and he too. will like send me away and i'm like but before i go <laughs> what can i get everyone like, yeah do you want me to make you all individual snacks yeah. that are like plated and instagram worthy <laughs> well that was like tonight you know like i'm really bad at filling my plate did you know this about me I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I, a lot of the time put too much on myself that things are constantly falling off. And I am also blessed in the sense that my husband is like, something needs to come off of your plate. You need to pick one thing. And tonight it was my daughter's basketball. Sorry. We're packing for a trip. I have to record episodes for a podcast, bring the dog, do all of these things. And it's just like, bah! yeah. So for somebody to put it in words that are enlightening, yeah. empowering, and do not take anything away from your strength and your, right. your achievements, it was a blessing. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, why doesn't she? Yeah. And then, then you start like introspectively looking at, well, why don't I do that? And it's like, oh, I can do that. So thank you, TJR. You know, it's even, it's fitting that we read this for our first shortened month. Yeah, it is. The world is not going to end because we're not reading a book of, <gasps> and recording a book a week. Are you like, sure? What if we just put it down and lighten our load? We're still awesome podcasters. Are you sure it's not going to end? No, we'll see. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous now. Uh, I think it will be okay. I did not want Malibu Rising to end. I... Uh, I really struggled with this. And actually, so I finished last night, like I said earlier. Um, I put off reading it last night. I had like an hour left in my Kindle. Um, and I, I really put off reading it because I just didn't want it to end. But I wanted to see what happened. It was just this huge tug of war. So you mentioned earlier quartet. That's and you correct. didn't really elaborate. <laughs> so and. She didn't talk about a quartet in my Zoom author chat. So you're going to have to tell me and everybody else listening what the 411 is on that. So it's amazing. And it was really fun to see it three different times because she talked about it in all of mine. Apparently, I just missed it. <laughs> and it's okay. Uh, the first one, though, it was very, yeah, I think so. I think I have a place I want to go. And then I I want to say it was two and a half weeks between the first and the next one I did with V.E. Schwab. And she's like, yeah, it's almost done and it's great and I'm excited. And they talked about, you know, good and bad days with writing. And um, and then it was almost even more confirmed the next day when she was talking with Jenna about um, just how almost done it is again, how it's finished in her mind. And, and so then the, by the next day when she was speaking with Jenna about it, Jenna was already like, okay, people already have their theories of what's this going to be about. And so it's, it was definitely more known by then and with there, whereas the other ones were like, eh, maybe, maybe yes, almost done. Well, okay. We already have rumors about what's about. Tell us. And so it evolved pretty quickly. Um, it is for sure in the nineties. I love it. So we're going in generational order. Um, the quartet, she said, is about four books that are about particular types of of women in the public eye and a particular type of relationship between a woman and the public and mm -hmm. like how they're seen. So mm -hmm. it'll be someone else who's famous. Yep. So <laughs> she did say that she was like setting the groundwork too in Malibu rising. And Jenna was like, a lot of people are thinking 
that it will be about uh, 90s tennis players. And she seemed really confused by that. She's like, what? Really? really? Oh. And tennis was a big theme in this book. It was. And so the strangest thing was, so I do think it will be an athlete. I do. Okay. Very random. Like almost like her face with Jenna could have been like completely like throwing everyone off her scent for sure. But there was a very random part with V.E. Schwab. I have no idea what this has to do with Malibu Rising, but she let something slip. And I was like, did you just tell us what it was about? So we'll have to see because only time will tell. But they were talking about how she's able to make these characters seem so realistic. And she talked about a little of finding real people from that real time and like having them have dinner together. And she mentioned Goldie Hawn for Malibu Rising and them hanging out together. And that she's like, you know, once you just set little details, the rest just falls in the place and people can just see them there together. And she said, you know, I need an ice skater in the 90s. I just Google a few ice skaters from the 90s and name a few and then put a details in their proximities there. And I was like, wait, oh, wait, ice skaters? Maybe we're going to have like a little Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding drama going on. Oh, that'd be fun. Isn't that random to say though? Because it was way completely far away from her talking about the next book. Well, because you have uh, Evelyn Hugo, an actress. You have Daisy Jones. A rock star. Yep. And you have Nina, model. So now all we're missing is an athlete. Is an athlete. Which Nina technically was, but that she was more for the model. Yeah. Because they even said that she could get into competitions, but that wasn't what she was yeah. going to be focusing on. I so, can't wait. So Does, yeah, is I, there any release date projected at this point? Uh, she's just finishing, I believe, the final draft. Okay, so probably so she's almost done. Twenty twenty two at the end, at the very earliest, if not twenty twenty three. Unfortunately, yeah. So well, that's a bummer. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm like so curious to know if she like gave it away like that. Like that's not even giving away Did that much. Did she look like she accidentally slipped or was that intentional, you think? It seemed like she was just so caught up in the conversation of how she makes these characters seem so real. Oh. It just seemed like because that's how people get you. Yeah. They they talk and then all of a sudden you're just telling your life secret. But you just talk about it and then you're so yeah. ensnared in the conversation. It's yeah. the details that give it away. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Well, you, you love fame and celebrities. And you are all about Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones. And this one's in that world, but it's different. How did you feel about Malibu Rising overall? If it's not overtly <laughs> obvious. We don't know yet. Um, I was a little bit cold with this book. On No, I freaking loved it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so glad you loved it so much. Oh, yeah. I, I liked that I was able to savor it. We had a pushback recording this week, and so I got an extra couple days to really <laughs> savor it, and it was lovely. So... Um, but yeah, so you appreciate the unique way of telling stories of Daisy and Evelyn, but weren't quite as captivated, captivated with them as I was because you really don't like the whole fame storyline as much. And I think in those ones, the character flaws were a little too drastic for you 
if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. <laughs> so in this one, we have tons of flawed characters. How does Malibu Rising stack up for you? You hated it too, right? Hated it. Yep. Like, oh my yep. gosh, so lame. <sighs> no, I loved it so much yeah. more. I like the real and raw. And I do think there are elements of that in those other books. I'm excited to read her backlog before she got the, as far as I know, before she got this fame seed planted in her head with this quartet. I'm really excited to read those because I like her writing, obviously. I like how real and relatable her characters are. And so this one, I just felt so much. I loved June before she fell apart. Mm-hmm. I loved Kit. I loved... I loved all the kids. Obviously, Nina. All the kids. Every single kid was even such like a good person. Jay and Hud. Yeah. I mean, even though Hud, We didn't even really talk on Hud stuff. Like, there's so much going on. We could have done a whole other episode on it. We could have. So, but. I loved it. I highly recommend this. It's my favorite. Um, and again, we are mentioning, like, quartets. These are all books that can stand on their own and have nothing really to do with each other at all. They just live in the same universe, and you might be like, oh, hey, I know that name. I read about another book, but they're not a character the same way, if that makes sense. Absolutely, because I was thinking superheroes when you said live in the same universe and have their own storylines. Yes, exactly. So just like all of the Marvel. And even, you know, Mick is the biggest, has the biggest part in multiple books, but you won't. Like, I wouldn't even say he had the biggest part in like uh, no Evelyn Hugo. No, no, he didn't have the biggest part in Evelyn yeah. Hugo. He's the character who had a bigger part in two books. Okay, I see what you then, mean. Like, no, Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, so. Okay, yeah, I can get behind that. So everyone else is just like a line or two. He at least got a chapter yeah. in Evelyn Hugo. His marriage. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. So thank you for all your thoughts and input. It's always so lovely to chat with you about these books same and thank you to our listeners for tuning in Mm -hmm. to find out more about us and the show along with blog posts and as well as all of our backlogged not backlogged but our previously recorded author chats head on over to thelostshell.com we're going to try and be a little bit more relaxed with our recording schedule so that we can actually start posting a few more blogs Um, (laughs) (laughs) so keep an eye out for those Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes will be coming out every other Tuesday, just in time to have with your coffee. Next month, we will again be having some fun discussions. Don't forget about our personal handles. Katie's Lost Chill and Kimmy's Lost Chill. We're a hoot. Hoot and a half. (laughs) If you're enjoying the Lost Chill, please leave us a review wherever you listen to us. We would be forever grateful i don't know if that's a real song but it is right now because i have the sleepy sillies we can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book we are so thankful for everyone who has tuned in to the lost chill and keeps coming back for more episodes see you next time bye bye oh i meant oh <laughs>